<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of The Complete Works Season 2, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the world according to Jeff Goldblum is my friend, co-host, and fellow Goldblumaniac. Mike Striccio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Episode 80? That's too yeah. many. That's too many episodes. <laughs> You're saying we should have stopped this podcast a long time ago. I'm saying, but there's got to be, what, like five left? We're almost done. We're, we're in the home stretch. I mean, it, based on our schedule that we've kind of mapped out, uh, I think we will be done by the end of April with Goldblum. Wow. Uh, which is pretty wild. And of course, we'll come back for, you know, Jurassic World and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Jurassic right. World Dominion, I should say, the new one. Uh, and then Thor 11 Thunder and all that kind of stuff. Whenever Goldblum has a new movie out, we will cover it. But the end of the uh, official Goldblum season is, is upon us. It's happening very soon. Wow. What if the Goldblum fell, you know, is really <laughs> to, to cross over jokes from uh, podcasts. Right. Uh, Let's just completely uh, dismiss any like people who don't listen to both podcasts out of hand right now. <laughs> Correct. What are you doing? Watch, listen to, subscribe to both. Listen yes, to both. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah. So this is an exciting. One. I mean, yeah, like you saying, we're we're almost done with the Goldblum season. I think we're gonna have to figure out who season three is gonna be about pretty soon. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I have some ideas that have been circulating uh, in the in the ether, and uh, you know, we'll figure out what that's gonna be. Hopefully soon. Maybe we'll have to take like a couple a couple weeks hiatus as we get like prepared for the new season uh, with the with the podcast and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all that stuff is uh, is gonna be happening. But yeah, so this week, uh, Jeff Goldblum is working with director Wes Anderson for the third. time time uh the two had previously collaborated on the life aquatic with steve zizu and the grand budapest hotel both of which we've already talked about on this podcast but this time it was a little bit different because goldblum was providing a voice role in anderson's return to stop motion animation yes now i have a question and you may have it later in your stats but as far as repeat directors do you have stats on that uh i do have like writer director reunions uh yes in the stats and i believe at this point, now that they've made three movies together, I think Wes Anderson is the filmmaker that Goldblum has worked with the second most amount of times uh, behind Robert Altman, who he made mm-hmm. four movies with. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then yes. Roland Emmerich. <laughs> and then <laughs> Roland Emmerich had two. Well, Spielberg had two also. Okay, yeah, I forgot. Jurassic Park and the Lost World. Incredible. But yeah, and I think there might be like a few other ones uh, kind of thrown in there too. I'll, I'll look through it a little bit later. Uh, but Wes Anderson had made one stop-motion animated movie before, which, of course, was 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, which happens to be my favorite of Wes Anderson's movies. That movie rules. It's incredible. Anderson working in the medium was almost a natural progression of his style. His movies were getting more and more precise and diorama-like, so it just made sense that he'd be making stop-motion movies. Yeah, yeah, just forget humans. Let's just go straight to dolls. Exactly, yeah. And Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of seen as a comeback for Wes Anderson after the uh, muted reception and box office failure of both Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited, uh, its success kind of paved the way for Anderson to make Moonrise Kingdom next and then Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, and then after Grand Budapest was released in 2014, found massive success, uh, still his most critically acclaimed and financially successful movie, nominated for nine Oscars, Anderson announced that he would be returning to the world of stop motion animation for his next film. And because stop motion is a very long process, it was four years before we finally saw it. Wow. Uh, in 2018, Wes Anderson took influence from the likes of Akira Kurosawa and Hayao Miyazaki to release Isle of Dogs. 
the Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're king. You're duke. You're boss. I'm chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a junior turboprop XJ750 and flew it to the island because of your dog. Darn it. I've got a crush on you. We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? No. no. I've lost all of my pride. Spots, if he's alive, may very well be living even at this moment as a captive prisoner. Somebody is up to something. Will you help him? The little pilot. Why should I? Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those. We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive, we'll find your dog. It's gonna be a fight! I wish somebody spoke his language. North, a long rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Got it. Get ready to jump. Now, while Wes Anderson was working on Fantastic Mr. Fox in England, he saw a road sign for Isle of Dogs, which is an actual peninsula in East London. That's, uh, wow. that's, that's a real place. Uh, so he says that was the initial inspiration for the film. Just saw the sign and like, thought of the idea of like, what if there was an island of dogs and uh, made the movie. Uh, much of the same team who worked on Mr. Fox also worked on Isle of Dogs. Uh, often there were 12 sculptors working six days a week on the many elaborate puppets uh, created for the film. In total, there were about 3,000 puppets with about 20,000 faces produced for Isle of Dogs, uh, which is just kind of mind-boggling to think about. That's... An insane way to make a movie. Yes. 100%. Stop, stop motion is really truly one of the most difficult ways to make a movie there ever has been. Wow. <laughs> uh, the movie begins as a group of five dogs discover a young boy who crash lands on their island, and Jeff Goldblum is one of those five. Uh, he plays Duke, a dog who seems to know everything about what's going on at the island at any given time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the recurring joke. Like, oh, you heard the rumor, right, about this? Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. We'll talk about that. Uh, but Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad plays the main dog, Chief. Uh, who is a stray who forms a bomb with the boy. The other three are Edward Norton as Rex, Bob Balaban as King, and Bill Murray as Boss, all of whom Goldblum worked with on the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, plus, Bill Murray actually is officially joining the Four Timers Club with Goldblum this week, Mike. Wow. Rarefied territory. Yes, Bill Murray and Goldblum have now been in four movies together, next up Greenwich Village, and then three Wes Anderson movies. 
<laughs> Honestly, perfect quadrilogy. Yeah, it, it, it is how Bill Murray will get to the five-timers club, I'm pretty sure, when Asteroid yeah. City comes out this, uh, later this year. Other Anderson reunions happening here. Uh, Harvey Keitel from Grand Budapest uh, plays Gondo. F. Murray Abraham from Grand Budapest plays Jupiter. Tilda Swinton from Grand Budapest plays Oracle. Fisher Stevens from Grand Budapest <laughs> plays Scrap. Uh, Kunichi Nomura from Grand Budapest plays Mayor Kobayashi. And uh, here's a weird story, too. Angelica Houston from Life Aquatic is credited as Mute Poodle. Uh, what? Which means she has no dialogue in this completely animated film. <laughs> uh, according to Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum told the story. She wanted to be in the movie as a poodle. And Wes said yes, but then couldn't find anything for her to do. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so they credit her in the movie. She's in the credits, uh, despite the fact that she is not actually in the movie. So uh, I don't think that one can count for a Goldblum reunion, unfortunately. Mm. On a technicality, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on a technicality, but unfortunately, I don't think we can really uh, put that down in the paper there. Uh, the ensemble does not stop there. Greta Gerwig, uh, known these days for directing Lady Bird and Little Women. She plays Tracy Walker, a foreign exchange student who wants to help Atari, the young pilot. Uh, Francis McDormand, who worked with Anderson on Moonrise Kingdom, uh, plays Interpreter Nelson, a news commentator translating the Japanese to English. Scarlett Johansson plays Nutmeg, a show dog who bonds with Chief. Ken Watanabe of The Last Samurai and Godzilla 2014 plays the head surgeon. Uh, Liev Schreiber plays Spots, the dog Atari is looking for, which, hey, spinning Boris reunion right there, Mike. Nice. <laughs> so got that going. Uh, Courtney B. Vance from The People vs. O.J. Simpson plays the narrator. Uh, Frank Wood from The Nick plays the Simul Translate Machine. Roman Coppola, who also worked on the story with Wes Anderson, plays Igor. Kara Hayward from Moonrise Kingdom plays Peppermint, the dog Spots mates with. And finally, Yoko Ono appears as the animated scientist, or the assistant scientist, whose name is also Yoko Ono. Yeah, weird. That was strange. That is an odd little joke right there. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's a funny joke, but it's just it's weird that A, Yoko Ono's in this, and then B, her character's name is Yoko Ono. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty great. Uh, Isle of Dogs was written and directed by Wes Anderson with a story developed by Anderson, Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, and Kunichi Nomura, who is also the voice of Mayor Kobayashi. Uh, I weirdly can't get a firm number on the budget of this movie. Uh, hmm. I, I see some reports that it was like 30 million. I see other reports saying it was like 150 million. <laughs> okay. What? I very much doubt it was that high. <laughs> <laughs> but like maybe though, because stop nation, you know, that's, stop that's also true. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I can tell you the movie grossed about sixty four million dollars uh, when it came out worldwide was generally well received by critics, although it did spark discussions about cultural appropriation and white savior tropes. Uh, the movie was also nominated for two Oscars, uh, best original score, which it lost to Black Panther and best animated feature, which it lost to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, mm. Both Marvel losses that uh, <laughs> they're yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, but nothing was going to beat into the Spider-Verse. I mean, Spider-Verse is like kind of undeniable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the movie was opened in the U.S. in limited release on March 23rd, 2018, debuting in the number 15 spot at the box office with only 27 theaters to work with. That's the uh, original run of theaters right there. Opening at number one that weekend was Pacific Rim Uprising. Wow. Uh, which I think we recently mentioned in the Independence Day episode. The Independence Day 2 episode, we talked about Pacific Rim 2 a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and how and how lame that movie is. Devastating when you think about it. Yeah, Pacific Rim 2, the sequel to Pacific Rim without the involvement of Guillermo del Toro, 
not great. Uh, also opening that weekend uh, were the animated movie Sherlock Gnomes, a religious movie called Paul, Apostle of Christ, a romantic drama called Midnight Sun, and the Steven Soderbergh thriller Unsane, which, very good. Hey. Yeah, watch that. Have you seen Unsane, Mike? I have. That's the iPhone movie. Yeah, he shot that entirely on an iPhone, Claire Foy. It's good stuff. It's very, it's really fun. Uh, also in the top ten were Black Panther, uh, number two in six week of the box office. Huge hit. Uh, a religious movie called I Can Only Imagine, the Tomb Raider reboot with Alicia Vikander, Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time, the gay teen coming-of-age story Love, Simon, and... One of the best comedies the last few years, Mike. Game Night was in the top ten. Whoa! I was a late comer to Game Night. I never, I didn't see that till it was uh, like out on VOD and everything. right. Yeah, I saw it in theaters, and uh, you know, I really enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters. And then when I saw it again, like a year later, I was like, "This is so good. This is the this is it's like a perfect movie. It's so great. I love Game Night. Uh, I I had a weird thing going where like every thirteen months I had like logged Game Night on my letterbox, <laughs> and I think I broke that streak this past year. But uh, I I had it pretty good for a little while. I was like, "Yeah, every thirteen months, it's time to watch Game Night, everybody." Yeah. <laughs> Just to remind yourself what cinema can be. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for Isle of Dogs reads: Set in Japan. Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. All right, so Isle of Dogs, the third time Goldblum and Wes Anderson have worked together. The first time Goldblum's been in one of Anderson's animated movies. And I saw this movie back in theaters and uh, enjoyed it. I liked it then, but uh, it definitely, I, I felt it was like weaker Anderson at the time. Uh, I'm And I know you didn't see it in theaters, but uh, you kind of saw this as like a 2018 catch-up movie. Like when we were doing our like, you know, best of 2018 episode from Mike Might Go to the Movies, uh, right. you did like your got to cram 20 movies in all, all at yeah. once kind of thing. Isle of Dogs was one of those. Uh, so now rewatching it, Mike, what were your thoughts back then? And now what are your overall thoughts on Isle of Dogs? Um, my thoughts when I watched it for the like top 10 homework, uh, basically was that it was like fine, you know, it was okay. It's, it's, it's Wes Anderson. So like base level, I mostly enjoy that style, that, that whole world and everything. Yeah. But, but I thought felt it was a little slow, a little long, not much is happening. And I was just kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, I got, 17 more movies to watch before yeah. we record our podcast. So moving on, you know, it's like not going to make my top 10. Can't think about it ever again. But now watching it for this, I enjoyed it more than that. I, I, I did enjoy it. I feel like it rose a little bit in my, my estimation. Uh, it is, it is still pretty long. It is still pretty slow, but, but there is something about just kind of living in this little quirky, little weird guy's mind. Uh, you know, Wes Anderson's <laughs> little, little freaky mind uh, with his talking dogs that's like charming and fun. And I kind of enjoyed that. Although there is, you know, still that specter of like cultural appropriation. There's the white guy making this whole movie in, in Japanese. Well, not, you know, it's half in Japanese and all that. And, uh, it just feels, that feels a little weird, but overall, I think, I think they're, all the performances are really fun and good. And, and I think it's so interesting when you listen to this movie, right? If you were like, close your eyes, you would just assume it's a live action movie. Like there's nothing wacky or like, inherently animated about the performances yeah uh not and that's not like a knock or anything it's just a, an interesting thing right if you're the same thing i think probably also for fantastic mr fox which i haven't yep. watched in a long time but you know it's not like nicholas cage doing the peggy sue got married voice in g-force <laughs> uh you know or like whatever <laughs> nobody's doing like a cartoonish voice uh in right this. all the dogs and all that's just normal straight ahead dialogue <laughs> which is fun so yeah yeah went up a little bit in my estimation and, and and i enjoyed it more than i remembered enjoying it on my first watch yeah i uh i kind of had a similar reaction i enjoyed i enjoyed it when i first saw it back in theaters i liked it but uh, i think i had 
very high expectations for it because Fantastic Mr. Fox is so great. Like, yeah. I, I love that movie. It is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. It is kind of the one that got me into Wes Anderson movies. Uh, you know, it's the, I think it's the first one that I saw. Uh, and, you know, loved that movie so much and, like, really loved it. And so, like, you know, I kind of f- kept following him through Moonrise and Grand Budapest. And uh, then he announced he was doing Isle of Dogs, a new stop motion movie. I was like, oh, great. He's going back to the world of stop motion. We're ready for, like, another Mr. Fox-esque masterpiece. And then I saw Isle of Dogs in theaters, and I thought it was pretty good. It was, I I enjoyed it for sure. I liked it, but uh, I definitely thought it was like the weakest of the movies that I had seen up to that point. And I still think it is probably the weakest of the three Anderson movies that we've talked about on this podcast between uh, this Life Aquatic and Grand Budapest. I think it's probably the weakest of those, but like you're comparing it up against like two movies that I think are like basically masterpieces, Yes, (laughs) you know, so it's kind of tough. And Isle of Dogs, I still think of as maybe like, I think more like mid-tier Anderson now, I think. I, I think at for a while I was like this this may be like my least favorite Anderson film or like close to the bottom or whatever and mm-hmm. now I'm like okay it's like squarely in the middle I like Isle of Dogs a lot more now uh, watching it again I like it just feels like there's so much imagination and thought put into this world and the level of detail is so insane and I was just kind of like enraptured by it within the first couple of minutes and uh, you know it gives off this like really fun adventure story uh, and it dives deep into Japanese culture in a way that I did want to talk about because uh, you know obviously the discussion around cultural appropriation with this movie uh, was pretty prevalent I think it kind of dominated the conversation when it came out um, yeah. and that, that maybe hurt it in a lot of people's estimation with Wes Anderson and I think you know yes it is a white guy diving into Japanese culture but it's also the actual Japanese actors doing all of the Japanese characters right right um, so all, all the dogs are voiced by you know American people but any any like human Japanese character is voiced by a Japanese actor, generally speaking, untranslated Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the ha- they'll have Francis McDormand as like an interpreter or whatever, but they don't like do subtitles for the most part for any of the Japanese dialogue. So it really just feels like you're in this world that is created. Uh, and it feels like, um, I mean, you can talk about as much, you know, cultural appropriation and I think that's a very good discussion to have, but I think Wes Anderson, it's really out of like the love for like this kind of culture that Anderson has for it. Uh, and it feels like he's just taking influence from all of his favorite things from Kurosawa and Miyazaki and all these other Japanese filmmakers uh, and like diving into that world and trying to create as sort of authentic a world as possible. But also it's very much like its own universe, too. Like it's yeah. obviously a universe in which, you know, there's this like fascist dictator that's like like reelected like six times within this like, you know, Megasaki City, which is a fictional city. And, uh, you know, there's this trash island and, like dogs can talk and all this stuff. <laughs> like That's also a factor, well, too. It's uh, so it feels like it's taking influence from all that stuff while creating its own fictional world, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a conversation worth having. I don't know if I have anything smart or interesting, insightful to say necessarily. Yeah. Uh it is definitely cultural appropriation and it's part of this conversation and stuff. But like I, I did enjoy or I think it is like a interesting, a clever way to have it be like the dogs can't understand, he, understand humans because the dogs all speak English and the humans all speak Japanese. <laughs> but then they have the little translator earpiece thing and they can talk to each other and stuff. Uh, so that's it's weird, but uh, it's like a kind of sort of clever way to have that distinction between the dogs and the humans when they're having conversations and stuff you know as opposed to like cats and dogs uh (laughs) (laughs) which is weirdly the closest comparison we have in the golden filmography right (laughs) very strange uh what a strange connection to have to make in this podcast um yeah i mean i think you know we are not necessarily the people who would have the most insight into this conversation too you know so that's also probably part of it but uh but in any case i think isle of dogs creates like a really fascinating world that it takes place in and like the level of detail there is just kind of extraordinary uh and it has that you know signature blend of comedy and melancholy that i appreciate in a wes anderson uh picture uh and also watching it again like this is a pretty 
dark movie. Like, like this is an animated stop motion movie. It was marketed as, you know, an animated movie. Like, hey, you know, for kids, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's rated PG, you know? it's And then there's, like, jokes about, like, dogs killing themselves. Yeah, dude. All this kind of stuff. Like, there's, it, it gets pretty intense. Like, the, I mean, the actual plot of the movie is that this uh, pandemic has started. Pandemic has been planted by these corporations that like create this dog flu that is like killing off dogs left and right and they're worried it'll get like transfer over to humans. So they all quarantine everybody's dogs. They like take everybody's dogs and quarantine them on this island called Trash Island where the dogs are just left to like lay out there and starve and die. And it's a pretty, that's a lot for like a kid to take in, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i don't is it i guess it's is it marketed as a kid's movie i don't really know i mean um, i think just by nature of it being like an animated movie going into theaters like yeah being like relatively like not a lot of language and stuff there is a couple of like curse words and stuff here and there mm-hmm. um but I, I think for sure like i i think a lot of parents would have taken this would have taken their kids to see this, especially if their kids like fantastic mr fox which is more of a kid's movie than this is right that's for sure yeah that's true yeah yeah i mean it's definitely like one of those pretty good allegory for <laughs> fascism and the way it uh, they other uh, a section of the population for their own benefits and right. uh, the boy samurai right is that the beginning of this movie i can't remember yeah yes yeah the prologue with the boy samurai and the headless uh you know whatever yeah the kobayashi clan yeah and the, yep. the cat loving kobayashi clan who is now in charge of megasaki city and all that stuff yeah this this movie's pretty dark there's just like dead pets all the time obviously yeah. you know about the dogs uh so warning for that i guess yeah, that's the thing. I, uh, my, my girlfriend generally does not like Wes Anderson movies. And I was going to watch this movie for the podcast, and she loves dogs. Oh boy. And I was like, well, you know, I, I ended up not watching it with her. Uh, but I was like, maybe this is one that she might like because, hey, it's it's about dogs. And there, it's like dogs on an adventure and all this kind of stuff. And then when the movie opened, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of dead dogs. In this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. One of the first things that Goldblum says is like, hey, did you hear the rumor about uh, this dog? Suicided. Hung by his own leash. <laughs> You heard the rumor, right, about Buster? Not sure. What in your mind? Who's Buster? Uh, my brother from another litter. What happened to him? Suicided. Hanged himself by his own leash. Hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty intense. It's pretty dark. <laughs> A little wacky, quirky Wes Anderson movie that's yeah. about the mass death of dogs. Yeah, you know, for kids. For uh, kids. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm very certain... And I don't think he's ever like really talked about this, but I'm very certain that something traumatic involving a pet happened to Wes Anderson when he was a kid. And he's been working through it with every movie that he's ever made since. And I've yeah, talked he, about I, th- I, th- I talked about this with uh, Grand Budapest. I think maybe even Life Aquatic. But, like almost all of his movies involve either violence towards an animal or the death of an animal in like a crazy way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When uh, when he throws the cat out the window in. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Throws the cat out the window in uh, in Grand Budapest. Uh, in Life Aquatic, uh, Bill Murray shows up on the island and his cat has died. Right. Uh, and they have to leave the dog behind. Remember, they have to leave yeah. the dog behind later, the three-legged dog. Uh, in Royal Tenenbaums, the dog dies like a car crash. In Moonrise Kingdom, uh, the dog dies after, like, scissors get thrown at it. Right. Uh, you know, Finesse Mr. Fox has them, like, knocking out dogs left and right with these, like, you know, pills and stuff. <laughs> like Jesus. It's, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> Something to unpack. Somebody should ask that guy if he's okay. I, I think so. Uh, and then I of dogs feels like the culmination of that in some way it's a movie very explicitly about an island full of dogs that are dying of disease yeah and all they're but really are they they're just sneezing you know a lot of them are, i mean some of them are dying right i think uh, i yeah. mean a, a lot of them are dying for like other reasons like other, like starving to death or you mm-hmm. know all that kind of stuff or they see no way out and all that. it's it's pretty intense it gets very dark yeah 
Yeah. Dark, dark movie. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, but all right. So Jeff Goldblum is in Isle of Dogs. Mike. Yes. Uh, he plays Duke, one of the five main dogs in the movie. Uh, what do you think of Jeff Goldblum in Isle of Dogs? I think I think he's great in this. I think that whole little squad, those five you know, five dogs or four dogs plus chief. Uh, yeah are great. They're so much fun. And, and it's, it's like I said, it's the thing where like you close your eyes, this could be any other Wes Anderson movie when they're all interacting and stuff. Uh, yes. And, and I, but I, but I love that though. I feel if, if like it really works the weird with the weird setting and everything where, uh, yeah, it's this little fucking weird thing where the dogs are just normal, normal humans, normal Americans, <laughs> strangely for some reason. Um, but they're all, all their interplay is very fun. And I love how everybody is like, Goldblum is like, hey, I heard the rumor guy. And and uh, Edward Norton's character is like, okay, everybody take a vote. Like, everybody's kind of got the same, like, one characteristic. And they're yes. all, they play that. It's their only move <laughs> um, right in the movie. Uh, but it, they all work together and it's very fun. And then, of course, you know, Chief is like the lone lone guy. He doesn't he doesn't believe in masters, uh, which is a wonderful line that he keeps saying. Um, and yeah, I think Goldblum is great in this. And I, and I think it's, interestingly, one of his least Goldblumy performances. And it's an animated movie where he's just kind of being straight, uh, which is yeah. an interesting choice. Uh, we know we talked about that a lot with Cage and stuff where like he kind of would invert whatever your expectation of the movie would be. And I feel like this is sort of not quite that level because everybody is doing this. All, all of the dogs rather are doing the same kind of thing that Goldblum is doing where it's just a normal performance. But it's not, there's no not much stammering. There's not much the whole... Goldblum shtick isn't really present, which I think is interesting. Right. I mean, that's something that I feel like you can't easily do in an animated movie. Just True. A, because you got to record your voice and then they have to like animate to it uh, or the animation's already been happening. And so you got to like match what the animation's doing. Um, and so if you're like Goldblum and like you have your improvisation, you know, doing the stammering thing, like that's going to be really difficult for the animators to animate after the fact, uh, right. especially in a stop motion animated movie. True, true. <laughs> you know, but the, but that is the thing with like, um, I know, I know with Aladdin, with Robin Williams and Aladdin, that was kind of what they had to do was he improvised a bunch of stuff and then they had to like animate to it. Um, but for mm. the most part, usually the animation's already done and then you're doing the voice acting stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so there's not like a ton of room for improvisation generally. Uh, but also just in a Wes Anderson movie, I feel like Goldblum had kind of molds himself to fit in with the ensemble of a Wes Anderson cast, um, which Anderson movies tend to be like fairly deadpan, you know, yeah. the whole way for the most part, right? There's like not that much like wackiness going on there, except for when it like is required to like kind of break the deadpan of it all, I guess. Uh, and so everybody kind of has like sort of a similar tone throughout the movie. And uh, yeah, I think Isle of Dogs plays into that as well. And they all have similar deadpan kind of takes on it all. Yeah. It's like every now and then you need Ray Fiennes to run silly for 20 <laughs> seconds across a room. Um, so yeah, I mean that all, that all makes sense. And I, and I think, I think Goldblum in the other Wes Anderson movies has a, it's a similar thing. He's not doing the wackiness, you know, as far right. as you might think, well, I think we talked about this with grand Budapest where it might seem like they'd be silly sets and silly movies and stuff. Like everything is so precise and planned out and detailed that like it has to be like the tightest thing ever, right? It seems like I don't really you think, know. right? I think we've talked about this too. Another like kind of charted it a little bit through this through the season, where like when Goldblum is working with a strong director, like he gets funneled or chat like channeled into the correct thing that he needs to be, rather than just being let loose and being a wacky Goldblum. I you know I bond with the dog. I thought about the dog when doing this part. No, I didn't even know I was a Bohemian Mountain dog before. You know, I read the production notes after the fact. <laughs> That's true. You're basically saying you phoned it in. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is, it, you know, I've now been on the publicity tour with the great cast. Wait till you see the two numerous to mention. Mm. Spectacular Wes yep. Anderson cast. Wes Anderson, a genius. He's made a masterpiece. 
on the phone. I did this on the phone. Oh, you were on the phone? Yes. In a, uh, he invited me to be with Bill Murray and Bob Alaban and Edward Norton and uh, Liev Schreiber and uh, Brian Cranston because we were a pack of dogs. But I couldn't go for one scheduling reason or another. So I stayed here in California. Wes was on the phone. And that's how I did the part. That's so cool. You think so? Yeah, I do. I think it's amazing because I, I, you're very good in the part. And so it's amazing to me that you did that over the phone. That's all his doing. He knows what he's doing. Yes, yes, yes. He knows what I'm, he's doing. <laughs> this is not the standard show business. Oh, it's not me. False humility. Right. He knows what he's doing. Okay, stop trying <laughs> to hypnotize me. <laughs> oh, you you're you're like a bad 1940s hypnotist. <laughs> I have. You know what I say to Charlie Ocean? I say, you will gaze into my peepers. Gaze into my peepers. <laughs> I say that to Charlie Ocean. You know what he does? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what he does. Yeah, that's why you're not playing with my kids. <laughs> Goldblum very much a side character in this movie, too. You know, we yeah. start we start with the pack of these five main dogs. Um, but really, this Chief story. Like, Chief is kind right. of the main character of this with Brian Cranston. But I think even in animated form, he pops. And I think Anderson knows how to use Goldblum in a big ensemble. Um, because we've talked about this before, Goldblum in general is used best as like an ensemble player. Like Goldblum should be like tenth build in whatever movie he's in, so that in like the couple of scenes that he's in, he can like steal the show. He's great, yeah, basically. <laughs> and I think he does that here. Like he, like his recurring bit of like, oh, you heard the rumor, right? Uh, is like one of the most like memorable things in the movie. I think just one of the funniest stuff that like kind of keeps coming up over and over again, uh, which is really great. And I love the way his rumors like inform the plot of the movie a lot of times. Where like, yeah. It adds a little bit of extra context, and then like when Nutmeg shows up, right, and then and then when Cranston or Chief talks to Nutmeg, like he talks about the rumor, and it like it makes their relationship a little rocky at the beginning, and then yeah. all that stuff. Uh, and then I love when they question it towards the end. They're like, "Where where do you get all these rumors?" Yeah, he's like, oh, "Dogs talking, I listen. I I love to gossip. I always have." Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> uh, which is great. So yeah, how do you think this uh, fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? Well, weirdly, well, obviously the other Wes Anderson movies. Uh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and then also the other animated movies, but uh, I guess it, it's most similar to his his animated or his voice performance in like Prince of Egypt, I guess, because it's like a straightforward role. It's yeah. not like wacky and goofy, which you might expect. I don't know. Um, and, but also like cats and dogs, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> which his performance as a human in that, uh, but is yeah. cartoonish and silly and he's got the big you know, hives all over him and all right, that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I guess it's like an anti-comparison uh, analogy. No. What is that? I can't remember it. Anti-comparison. Uh, all my words are gone. You know what I'm saying? I think you're it's saying not, Isle of Dogs is better than Cats and Dogs. Isle of Dogs, hot take, better than Cats and Dogs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, I, I also did bring up Cats and Dogs in my thing just because uh, all, it's also a movie featuring talking animals and also one that is very pro-dog and anti-cat. Uh, yes, true, yeah. <laughs> you know, Isle of Dogs is definitely a, a pro-dog film. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's also, I mean, just talking about other Anderson movies, I think there's a lot in common here between this and Grand Budapest Hotel because it is Anderson creating this kind of big fictional world taken from different cultures and stuff that is corrupted by fascism and uh, showcases scrappy characters trying to exist within that world of fascism. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, so I think that's like a really a really fascinating comparison. Like that's just and this was the movie he made right after Grand Budapest, which so is something that was like on his mind for uh these two movies. Uh which can't is, imagine why he th was <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> we can only guess, but uh <laughs> yeah, and of course the other animated movies. I mean, this is still gonna be the third time Goldblum's been in an animated movie, um, I believe. Uh the others were Prince of Egypt and Zambesia. Oh my fucking god. Can you, did you forget about Zambesia, Mike? I forgot Mike? about Zambesia. How, but how that could is, you? The world had Zambesia fever. It had Zambesia fever. Actually, you know what? I did think about that. 
as another comparison to draw between Goldblum's performance in this and his performance in Zambesia, where he's sort of trying to do like the British great war pilots kind of thing where he's like the guy training the yeah. hot wings. No, what were those? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> the yeah, like the fighter pilot birds, you know, <laughs> um, in Zambesia, but he's like kind of doing like a weird affectation with his voice and stuff. But in this, it's just straightforward gold bloom, you know? Yeah, fair enough. And then also wanted to mention that, uh, you know, Goldblum kind of being the gossipy one of the group, uh, it did bring to mind for me uh, The Big Chill, uh, where he plays a journalist for People Magazine. That's right, yeah. You know, so kind of uh, wanted to throw that one out there. And also, Goldblum did once star in a movie called Mad Dog Time, and this one has dogs in it. Here it is. <laughs> Coincidence? No more. I think not. <laughs> but all right, so are we start, Are we ready to start running it down scene by scene, Mike? Let's do it. All right, we're breaking down Isla Dogs scene by scene right now. So this movie opens with this prologue, uh, and it's Jupiter, uh, F. Murray Abraham, uh, who's playing this dog Jupiter, and he's narrating this tapestry, uh, which recounts the story of the boy samurai and the headless ancestor in the Great Dog Wars. And uh, yeah. as soon as this started, I was like, I'm, I'm in. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, just the way it like kind of delves into this mythology, and you have this dog narrating it, and of course, F. Murray Abraham, who's the best, uh, and 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 the dog wars like end with the dogs becoming domesticated house pets. And then I love uh, you know he's like stops. It's like all oh, right, a haiku, and the way he delivers it, where he's like, I turn my back on mankind. Yes, <laughs> frost on window pane. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so good. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that. It's just you gotta get those last five syllables in. <laughs> or seven. So. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's five seven five. Seven five seven five seven. Maybe we shouldn't talk about cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But they do the haiku. Uh, it's kind of a recurring thing. I, I mean, they they do that haiku at the beginning, and then the uh, ending haiku is Atari's Lantern, uh, which is a similar thing. Where like the first two lines in it are like related to the situation, and the last line is just like some beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like frost and window pane. It's like rosebud petals or something. Uh, and then like it is like overcomes everybody with emotion when they when they hear it at the end. Yeah. It's pretty great. I love that. So you hear about the uh, the dog wars and uh, this kind of old story about this uh, young boy who beheaded his ancestor. You know, the, the boy happens to bear a resemblance to Atari, who's going to be uh, featured later in the movie. Uh, and then there's a note like right before the opening credits start like notes. Everybody is speaking in their authentic language. Like, like it's all non-translated. All barks have been rendered into English, which I think is very funny. <laughs> and then the opening credits happen and you have these like drums going on, which are like just really like propulsive and fun. Oh. And like all the, uh, the opening credits. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really love the score to this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nominated for best original score. Uh, Alexander Desplat, who uh, has scored most of Anderson's movies, I think at this point, or at least like the last few of them lost out the black Panther, which is also a very good score, but uh, yeah, definitely a deserving nod for sure. Um, so yeah, the opening credits happen and then you're kind of set the scene it's 20 years in the future and we're setting up that uh, snout fever and dog flu have run rampant uh mayor kobayashi is sending all the dogs to trash island he has a big press conference where he makes the announcement and that includes his own dog the mayoral dog spots yes uh and he's like in a cage and like just looking scared and they send him in a cage and they send him over to trash island there's also a dissenting opinions like now for the dissenting opinion and like the scientist comes up it's like do not do this yeah we're so close to a cure, damn it. It's so good. And I love like the Citizen Kane reference of it all. <laughs> this big poster it says yes. Kobayashi at the bottom. Yeah. And I, and I, I like that whenever he does like, these press conferences, it's always like, yeah, I'll do the dissenting opinion or like have like the protesters do their piece. But like, it's merely for show. Like it's always just like, yeah, <laughs> just like just to show that like there is another side that said things. All right. And we're moving on. And we're doing our thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I forget exactly the phrasing of it where it's like, you know, like our perfect political system allows for the voicing of dissenting opinions. And then it just completely disregard it uh 
It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so the scientist is close to a cure, but uh, he's overruled. They send the dogs to Trash Island, so all the dogs in Megasaki City have been sent out. It is now six months later. Uh, and we uh, go to Trash Island, and we're learning about snout fever and dog flu, and uh, they're descri- <laughs> the narrator is, like, describing the symptoms of dog flu, and it's, like, both narcolepsy and uh, insomnia are in it. Yes. <laughs> and we get introduced to our five main dogs, uh, and we see these, like, dogs kind of facing off as this, like, trash sack gets thrown on the island, and these these five dogs are facing off against this other band of five dogs, and they're, like, growling at each other and moving closer and closer to the sack, and they're about to do a big battle, and then Edward Norton stops them, and it's like, wait a minute. Before we start tearing each other to bits, uh, maybe we should see what's in the sack first. It might not even be worth it. Right. Like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we should do that. Sure, fair enough. <laughs> uh, and they do, and they take a look inside, and it's just, like, all kinds of trash. It's like, oh, yeah, it's an apple covered with maggots and a worm and all this. And Brian Cranston's like, okay, it's worth it. And they all just, like, jump to a big fight. <laughs> it's so good yeah it's great and just the animation like just has this like big smoke cloud like like limbs flailing everywhere brian cranston uh bites igor's ear off and they Mm -hmm. they win the sack yes they get it they get the (laughs) rotten banana peel or whatever it is (laughs) yes they they get the uh the stuff in the sack and uh they that's where you're kind of introduced this whole group so it is brian cranston Edward Norton, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, and Bob Balaban. And Edward Norton, I think, is really great in this movie, too. I just want to give a shout-out to him, because he's like he plays like the diplomatic one who, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, wants to put everything to a vote. Um, but he's also the one that feels the most like a Wes Anderson character. Like I feel like he's somebody who works really well within the world of Wes Anderson. Yeah, no matter <laughs> you know? what it is. Yeah. Uh, like He was in Grand Budapest, and he was in Moonrise Kingdom, and uh, you know, just the way he delivers his dialogue, and just very like matter-of-factly, diplomatically, it's, just, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, and I love how the votes are like never actually resolved, right? They're just always like, whoever's in favor, say I, and then it's just a random assortment of eyes and nays. And then the thing happens anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's always, everybody else says I, except for Brian Cranston who says nay. <laughs> yeah. It's good. <laughs> uh, which is great. And then, uh, you know, they're kind of talking about it and like talking about like being on trash Island for six months. And they're talking about what they miss back home. And Goldman's like, I just asked for what I've always asked for, what I've always had a physical every year, a couple of like all that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. Goldman tells the rumor, like you hear the rumor, right? Buster. He's suicided. <laughs> Damn. Oh, it's that kind of movie. Yeah. Hung himself by his own leash. And, you know, they all kind of like, you know, look sad about it and stuff. And then uh, Chief kind of like breaks in uh, and he's just like mad about the whole thing because the rest of them were all house dogs. They were all like pampered mm. pets. Uh, and Chief is like, I've seen cats with more balls than you dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And, uh, you know, it's revealed that Chief was actually a stray. He didn't have a home back then. We're dogs. We're wild animals. Like, you're Duke. You're boss. You're king. We, like, yeah. we should be we should be roaming and free and all that kind of stuff. And, and they don't, like, really subscribe to his beliefs. No, he's the radical of all of them. Exactly. And then at that point, they, uh, they see Nutmeg from, like, a distance, uh, the mm-hmm. show dog. Uh, and they're all kind of like awestruck by her because she's so pretty and all that kind of stuff. There's like one moment where it's like, how do, like, how does she look so good? There's no shampoo on the side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and Goldblum tells the rumor like, oh, you heard the rumor, right? Uh, she's, she, she made it with Felix. Uh, she's Felix's mate. You heard the rumor, right? About her and Felix? What'd you say Felix? About no. What happened to him? They made it. Ooh. Oh. Hmm. Who was Felix again? Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then an airplane crashes. Yes. Yeah. And I love the like little, and they're all like, oh, he's got to pull up. He's going to lose a wing. Like they're like, know how to fly. It's really weird. <laughs> they're like watching him, uh, the little pilot, like bumble his way through the, with his little airplane. Yeah. Uh, and then he crashes and it's a little like poof, puff, cotton ball puff of smoke, which I love. It's such a simple 
thing and makes sense for stop motion, but it's like so charming that whenever yes. there's smoke, it's a cotton ball. I don't know. Yeah, and the anima- the animation is so fluid in this and so interesting. Like yeah. it's just so well done. Uh, and there's also like kind of a blend of like there's stop motion, but then whenever there's like stuff on a screen, you see like kind of two D animation that's like yeah. showing the characters and stuff, which is like a cool thing. I, I can't even imagine the amount of work that went. <laughs> That went into this. Yeah. Just like the long hours and days of like just people doing like, you know, I would really love to know the amount of frames that are like that make up Isle of Dogs because mm-hmm. I'm sure it's like in the hundred thousands. Right. I you know. know. It's crazy. It's wild. But yeah, so Goldblum uh, has his rumor. The uh, the airplane crashes and then uh, it's part one. The little pilots. We're, we're returning to the chapters thing that uh, Anderson likes to do here. You see Atari and he crash landed and, uh, you know, he's showing the dogs like they all go over there and uh, he shows them the picture of his dog uh, that he's looking for uh, and he's trying to talk to them but obviously they don't uh, understand him and he can't understand them but Edward Norton's like we get the idea you're looking for your lost dog spots <laughs> you know there's like a debate about whether they're going to eat Atari uh, mm. in the <laughs> in the plate if he's dead and stuff and you know Chief's like we should eat him it's like no he, we don't eat our, our masters and it's like he's not our master and I was like all in favor say aye I was like aye nay <laughs> yeah and he's got like the the propeller clutch piece stuck in his head, right? And they're like, "We'll pull this out and see if he lives, and then maybe we'll eat him." <laughs> um. uh, so yeah, so Atari is like there, and he like passes out. Also, he like yeah. th- like he pulls the thing out, and then he passes out. But the dogs take care of him, and then it's twenty four hours later, and they ask around about spots. They like talk mm-hmm. to some people, and it turns out spots died in his cage like he was dropped in a cage and uh, nobody could figure out how to get it open right <laughs> the, ca- the cage was there and you know it was locked and nobody could uh, open it and so a spot you just there's a bunch of skeletons and you see the uh, the tag there and uh, it's just like oh spots died uh, which is unfortunate <laughs> and you know Atari's very upset he, he cries a little bit and then there's a flashback to three years earlier and you see Atari uh, was actually adopted by Kobayashi he is Kobayashi's nephew and he was adopted after his parents died in a car crash and Spots was given to him as a bodyguard dog. And they get the earpiece to speak to each other, which is wild. Absolutely. It's very touching. Right, because like Spots tries to go over and like uh, uh, Atari pets him, but the hatchet man guy, like Major Domo, is like, no, no, like not a pet. But he gives him that, the earpiece so they can talk to each other, and Spots starts crying. He's like, I can hear you. I can hear you. He's yes. Like, What's Anderson, why? <laughs> How have you done this? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and so uh, they can talk to each other and you see this flashback. And uh, so you clearly there's like a huge bond between him and Spots. Uh, and now we're back in the present and scientists have found a cure for dog flu. They solved it. Yes. It's, it, they're like, there's like a big machine, like a little paper prints out and it says dog flu cured. Yeah. And I love it's like all the different like snout fever cured. And it's like a crazy, insane science machine every yep. time. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, and it's just like a million different like buttons and things like again one of those things. It's like it's wild that they animated this. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have to go so hard, you know, but they did. <laughs> Scientists found a cure for dog flu, and uh, at back at the island, uh, the dogs stop Atari from leaving. Atari is like about to like take off in his plane again. They discovered that uh, that dog in the cage wasn't Spots. Yeah, somebody uh, one of the dogs in the crew took the collar out. Yes, uh, I think it was Bill Murray. Yeah, uh, and it says sport instead of spots yes he, he took the collar and uh edward norton looks back and is like wait a minute like wh- where'd you get that it's like what i've always had this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and then yeah it's, it turns out it's a sport instead of spots uh so they're able to stop atari from leaving they like, kind of catch his attention and he comes back down the wrong do- dog died uh meanwhile back on uh megasaki island the scientist approaches kobayashi with the cure kobayashi's in his hot tub yeah, uh, and the scientist comes up with uh, with Yoko Ono, and he's saying to him like, "Oh, we ha- we found a cure for dog flu, uh, and he and you know we we can finally like cure them, and bring them back." And Kobayashi decrees, "No, 
all dogs must stay on Trash Island. He ignores the scientist. Yes, yes, because reasons, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dog hater. And then is the, the sushi scene next, or is there some time in between? I don't quite remember. Uh, I'm not sure. When the scientist eats and he gets poisoned. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of time in between, but we can just mention that now. Yeah, there's a sushi scene where they're, like, chopping up a bunch of stuff, and, yeah, the scientist... Uh, gets poisoned, but it's staged as a suicide. Like it's supposed right. to look look like as if the scientist killed himself. Yeah, it's supposed to like kind of cover up the fact that they uh, cured dog flu. Exactly. Yeah, they shut him down. Yes. Uh, so we'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, back on the island, uh, Atari and the dogs are journeying, and uh, Atari is ended up get gets taken by like a rescue drone. Like the oh, Kobayashi yeah. is like out there looking for Atari. He sends like his team and stuff, uh, and there's this rescue drone machine that like kind of picks him up. Uh, and there's also a robot dog. <laughs> Mm-hmm, that shows mm-hmm. up and the dogs like fight back. Chief fights the robot dog. There's this recurring bit where anytime a robot dog shows up, like any you see him in the distance, Chief says, I can't smell him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh so there's like this big fight that breaks out, and they send Chief to fight the dog, and uh they all escape. Atari escapes with them, the drone explodes, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole big thing. Yeah, I think when when the little pilot Atari uh turns the plane back on to leave, it like gives them the location, you know, so Kobayashi knows where they are. And then, then of course, he frames it as his nephew has been kidnapped by these dogs, and now he must destroy them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so Chief and uh, all the other dogs and Atari, they find, like, a hideout area where they can kind of rest for a bit. And, you know, Atari is, like, kind of addressing the dogs and uh, says, sit, and all the dogs sit, except for Chief. He does. He's a rebel, man. He won't do it. He doesn't believe in masters. Yeah, I don't sit. And then Chief just leaves and he gets out of there. And that's when Chief meets Nutmeg. Yeah, and this is the scene I was talking about before when Goldblum tells him the rumor, like, oh, she she made it with Felix or whatever. So then yes. uh, Chief mentions that to Nutmeg and like, oh, what a scandal. Like, uh, you know, she's all taken aback by it. Um, yes. Yeah, but handles she, it well. Yeah, she's offended by it and handles it well. And she says it's not true about her and Felix uh, because you wouldn't bring puppies into this world. Fuck, man. One of those like, sad fucking things in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she and Chief kind of bond a little bit and like talk on the rooftop and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And she kind, of, she kind of tells him about how she used to be a show dog and Chief asks her if uh, she can do a trick. And she at first says no, but then right before she leaves, she's like, okay, I'll do one. And uh, she does a trick for Chief doing like this like kind of balancing thing. It's like, okay, and you have to, I should be like balancing a 10 pound bowling ball on my nose right now, but you have to imagine that part. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like a moment where like Chief's like looking at her and you see like the imagination part like above his head, like the circle. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can see it. And it's like, ah. Oh. It's really good. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Why is it's it so really good. cute? Yeah, just the, the connection that uh, Chief and Nutmeg have immediately uh, is is really terrific. And uh, I think Nutmeg has a great line uh, right as she leaves where she's like, oh, so are you going to help the little pilot? And it's like, uh, why should I? And say, like, well, he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those. She goes. <laughs> Walks out. Yeah. Oh, so good. And then oh, Chief has a little change of heart, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, honestly, like watching all these Anderson movies for the podcast, which by the way, The French Dispatch is on HBO Max right now. I saw that. So definitely worth watching that if because you, you haven't seen it yet. Correct. Um, yeah, worth watching that. But uh, yeah, watching all these Anderson movies, I, I want to do like a big Anderson rewatch now. Like I like I really have done like a lot of it with this podcast now. I've watched yeah. three of them. Uh, now I kind of just want to go back and watch the rest of them again because man, it's good stuff. Yeah, man, he kind of rocks. Very good filmmaker. Um, but uh, yeah, so they after that, Chief kind of rejoins them, and uh, you know, he's saying like uh, he's still kind of against the idea of the journey. He's saying like you know we're like we're gonna die out there, and Edward Norton's like, well, it's a good way to go out and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And then Goldblum has a Goldblum has another rumor. He's like, oh, did you hear the rumor? You heard the rumor, right, about the little pilot? No, what's the rumor? What is that? Kobayashi is his distant uncle. He's the mayor's ward. 
What? Huh. Like, how would he know? Uh, how would he get that? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, how would he get that? But they're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, so it's funny because I think the, uh, they kind of established like it's not true about her and Felix. So like not all of Goldblum's rumors are true, but most of them are. Like most of yeah. them are correct. <laughs> I love the the one when he has the rumor towards the end where he's like, "Oh yeah, Kobayashi Industries uh, created the dog flu." <laughs> like, it's like, how the fuck? How did you get that? Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite recurring jokes. It's it's my second favorite recurring joke in the movie, which we'll get to my first favorite in a little bit because it's so good. Um, but uh, yeah, so Goldblum tells them he's uh, Kobayashi's nephew, but they're gonna help him out anyway. And they plan the journey to find spots. And they have this whole thing like where they mapped out all of Trash Island, and they got to go through the Finger Islands and all this mm. kind of stuff, and. Uh, you know, just an elaborate journey to get over to where they're going to need to be. Uh, and then you catch a Tracy Walker in class. And we should talk about the Tracy Walker character as well. So Tracy Walker, voiced by Greta Gerwig, and she is like a foreign exchange student from Ohio. She's in one of these classes. Uh, and she has this whole conspiracy theory that the government is lying to turn the country against dogs, which she is yeah. 100% right about. But, you know, with the conversation about cultural appropriation, there was also uh, a conversation about the, uh, the white savior complex mm. uh, in this movie. Uh, and that involves Tracy Walker, like that character, uh, where, you know, you have a movie that is like steeped in Japanese culture and is largely populated by Japanese characters outside of the dogs. Like all the humans are Japanese except for Tracy Walker. But she's the one that is like actually driving the plot forward on the human side of things, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think the character itself is like fine. I, I like Greta Gerwig a lot and that helps, you know, <laughs> That's, yeah. like I think she's good in it. But uh, I think I think those are definitely like valid concerns about the character uh, and about the way they're portrayed in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely strange like that all of the main characters in this movie set in Japan uh, are American. Like the dogs are the main characters. Uh, you sure. know, I, I and think then, with the dog I think with the dogs, like they're dogs, so it's like it's whatever, yeah. I think. But, with, but it, with with the human characters, it's like, okay, well, maybe a Japanese character could should have should have been like <laughs> the right. lead here. Right. Yeah. I just meant in the context of like the cultural appropriation thing. Like definitely the audience surrogates and the main characters and stuff are the American characters set in Japan, living in Japan and stuff. But yeah, it's, it feels a little weird that like she would be the one to spur everything around Tracy. So I don't know. It's, it's strange, but I, I see, I do like her performance. Like Greta Gerwig's great in this. Yeah. Uh, and her character is like kind of, it's fun in that. Like she's this, you know, radical distrusting of the government, uh, like American high it, school. You know? That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the newspaper is the Daily Manifesto. It's like, yes, uh, chef's kiss, beautiful, um, and all that. So I, I don't know. It's it's all it's all weird and icky if you think it, about it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that character maybe should have been just a, a genuine Japanese character. Um, but I wonder how much of this was like commercially driven too to have mm. like because because if if Anderson was going to commit to the decision to have all the Japanese dialogue unsubtitled, which I think is a strong decision in the movie and yeah. uh, a surprising one for like. Again, an animated movie that was going into that eventually made wide release in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it maybe was partially like, I think the thing behind it was like, if you're going to release this in America, which is probably going to be the audience that like the biggest audience for a new Wes Anderson movie, you might need like a character, like an American character to like filter everything through or whatever right. it is. Like, I, th I think it's more of a marketing thing than it is like an artistic decision, I guess, or like the inclusion of Tracy Walker as a character. Right. Might be worse if you think about it that way. Um, I mean, I, I, no, I don't disagree with that. I just think, I, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, uh, from a studio perspective yeah. or like whatever it was, like, I feel like if you're going to do unsubtitled Japanese dialogue and market a movie to kids, that's going to be a tough sell. <laughs> that's a hard sell. You're not wrong. You know? Uh, so, anyway, part two now the search for spots. Yes. Uh, Goldblum has a. 
Yes. Search, search for Spock. Great. Wonderful. Hey, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about that. But yes, the search for spots. Uh, and they're going going through the whole island. They're going through the Finger Lakes and they're going through all this stuff. And, uh, you know, they're talking about some of their favorite foods from back in the old days. And, uh, you know, Goldblum has a rumor. He's like, you heard the rumor, right? Doggy Chop folded. You heard the rumor, right, about Doggy Chop? Remind us again. Brand. What rumor? Oh, they folded. Oh, no. Mm. Doggy Doggy chop folded, and they're like, "Oh man!" Like they're all so bummed by that. Yeah, uh, but but it like makes sense because there's no dogs anymore. So like, doggy chop, of course, would be out of business. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is it's all so tragic. Well, one that whole montage of them just kind of you know in silhouette walking across different landscapes mm, set to yeah. whatever that song is is like Mwah, beautiful. But then that that scene where they're talking about their favorite food, and then Chief is like, "I don't know, garbage." Because he's a stray and he's never had like normal food before or dog food before, you know? Yep. Uh, except then he tells, is it here when he tells the story about he was adopted from the pound that one time? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I wanted to get into that too, which by the way, the song is called I Won't Hurt You from the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. Is the That's the name of the band? That is the name of the band. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's very good. I remember that song was in the trailer for the movie too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're talking about all their favorite foods and Chief's like, I don't know, garbage because he's a stray or whatever. And then he tells this like long story, like this big monologue uh, that Cranston has, which he just sells so well. Yeah. Like this is genuinely, I think, one of Cranston's best performances outside of Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's great in this. Uh, and, you know, he tells the story of how, like, oh, I wasn't always a stray. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, and it's like, well, you know, I was out on the streets all the time. And uh, I was very good at not getting caught. But I did get caught a couple of times. And I got caught three times. Two times I escaped from the pound, got out there before anything happened. But the third time I got adopted before I could finish digging my escape tunnel. Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious if you think about <laughs> uh, And so somebody adopted Chief uh, back in the day. And he got taken into a house. And he was there for like a night and was sleeping. And uh, at one point, uh, the kid like woke up, went to go pet the dog, went to go pet Chief. And uh, Chief bit him, like bit, like almost tore his hand off. He's like, I don't, I don't really know why. He's like trying to delve into his own psychology of why he did that. He's like, I'm not even sure really, really why I did it. I, I think he was just trying to be friendly. Um, but of course, they took, they had to take him to the hospital, and uh, I was sent out into the doghouse outside. And uh, you know, I was out there for hours and really just thinking about my own situation. At some point, this old woman, she must have been the grandmother, she came out and uh, gave me this uh, bowl of chili. And you know, I remember having that chili, and like maybe she, I, I, I like to think that she made it for me specially, but. It was probably leftovers, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> then he dug out, like, right after that, he escaped. But he's like, that, that was the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. And everybody's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Dark, man. <laughs> yeah, but Cranston sells that so well. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's very intense. Uh, it's, it's a great monologue. Cranston's great in it. Yeah, it, it is just kind of one of those things that, like, really illuminates the character of Chief uh, in this movie. And then the dogs meet up with Jupiter and Oracle. Uh, yes. so Jupiter is the dog who is narrating at the beginning played by F Murray Abraham. Uh, and Oracle is played by Tilda Swinton, uh, who is this like tiny little pug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> Jupiter plays them a recording, um, that he's coming, to, that he's coming to possession of. And it's, or, or I don't know. I don't know if Jupiter plays the recording cause later Goldblum t- tells this to them. So yeah, I guess, I guess this is just like happening meanwhile kind of thing. Like you mm-hmm. hear about this later, but, uh, there's like a, big shadowy meeting of all the evil corporations in Kobayashi. Yes. Uh, and he, and they're revealing that's like, Oh yes, you planted like propaganda and let's get rid of all the dogs. And like, Oh, you planted the disease. You were doing a great job. Great work, everybody. Like, yeah, uh, it's like all it's, the evil corporations patting themselves on the back for planting the disease because they hate dogs. <laughs> exactly. It's like the, the, what the simul translate or whatever thing is like, what we see is this happening. Right. Which is some other voice you talked about before. I forget who that uh, is. Frank Wood from the Nick. 
Yes. Who that yeah. Was. yeah. So we see that, and that's how we, the audience, knows that information, which then right. Goldblum knows the rumor of later somehow. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Uh, so yeah, so we find out about that. Uh, and then also uh, Atari's May Day transmission is broadcast by Tracy on TV um, because she has people infiltrating Kobayashi's crew or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they like stole the black box from the uh, from the airplane and like took it from the wreckage and like brought it back. And so uh, they know that Atari like went to go search for spots and, you know, it has this transmission. It's like, if I die, bury me with spots and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so the dogs meet up with Jupiter and Oracle. This is my favorite recurring joke in the movie uh, yeah. where... <laughs> where the dog's name is Oracle and she says to them like, oh, it's going to snow later just just in case anybody wants to know and she walks away and it's like, oh, she sees the future? No, she understands TV. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the weather report on the news is playing. (laughs) And there's just like a recurring thing every once in a while where like a TV will be playing and like Oracle will just like kind of pop up (laughs) and be watching the TV. It's so good. It's great. Uh, and that's one of my favorite, that's my favorite bit in the movie for sure. And that's Tilda Swinton, which is also great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she understands TV. And so whenever anything happens on the TV, she's able to like relay the information to them and say like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And it's like, she's like an Oracle who can understand the future, yeah. but it's just because she watches the news on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah. And so we, we learn about uh, a little bit more about spots here too. Jupiter tells them that spots may be the prisoner of savage dogs, like dogs who are indigenous to the island, who were, have been here for a very long time, like from before the dog flu. That felt all pretty weird to me, if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> like, savage natives is a trope we don't really need anymore, you know? That's also true, but all, but I think when you meet these dogs, you learn that they're very much not that, too, is also mm-hmm. the thing. That's very fair. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's kind of like the the myth-making that's kind of going around on around this island, uh, and then Goldblum has another rumor. It's like, you heard a rumor, right, about these savage dogs? <laughs> you heard the rumor, right, about these these aboriginal dogs? No, no. Remind me again. What's the rumor? Uh, they're cannibals. So you're telling me they're going to want to eat us? Well, they're cannibals. <laughs> like, like he just found out about these stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, then they're all, you know, kind of continuing on their journey, kind of going forward to try to find where they think spots might be. Uh, and they're on this, like, kind of big tram that's, uh, like, kind of moving like, across this wire. And then the tram splits. It, like, splits into two different carts. And uh, Chief and Atari go one way, and the rest of the dogs go one way. And it's into, like, this incinerator. <laughs> yeah. I love that when that happens. He's like, okay, if we get split up, which we have been, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's determine where we're going to be. Uh, like, yes. he's trying to hold a vote while he's yelling across the thing at each other. It's pretty yep. fun. Yeah. And then when they, when they land, Chief is like, we didn't get to actually close the vote, but we're going to go meet up there anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the trams are on splits. They all go into like this incinerator thing, which you you do get to see their ride through it. Uh, and there's like a bunch of stuff that's happening there, but they're just like kind of whizzing right through all the dangerous stuff. And they're like, I guess if it had been working properly, we'd be dead by now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like falling apart. So nothing's <laughs> happening to them. <laughs> which is great. Uh, and then Atari and Chief land at Kobayashi Park. This like abandoned amusement park. Yeah. Uh, and Atari like sees this big slide and he uh, wants to go ride the slide. And Chief's like, no, we have to keep walking. Go to the rendezvous. Atari's like defying him and like just going up the slide and going mm-hmm. up the stairs. And Chief just keeps on walking. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to wait for you. And he abandons uh, Atari. And then, of course, he goes back for him because dogs love 12-year-old boys. Yeah, exactly. Atari goes down the slide and he, like, is whistling for Chief and doesn't see him. And he starts crying. And Chief hears the whistle and he goes back and just kind of, like, begrudgingly, like, starts marching back forward. Uh, So Atari starts following him again. And uh, the two of them start to bond a little bit. Yeah. Unlikely friendship. Exactly. And uh, Atari uh, takes, like, a pipe and, like, throws it. And Chief is like, I'm not going to fetch it for you. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Atari's like, fetch. And 
Uh, he's like, I, I, okay, I'm not doing this because you commanded me to. I'm doing this because I feel sorry for you. And he, and he goes to get it and drops it off. Uh, and then Atari like pats him on the head and says, good boy. And it like really affects him. It does. It got him. <laughs> it really, really affects him. And uh, then he, uh, he gives Chief his first bath yes. also, uh, which we should mention Chief is a dog with black fur. With uh, white spots. Right. Or so we thought, uh, yes. because because as soon as he takes the bath, turns out Chief has white fur. He's he's been so dirty yeah. <laughs> that he had black fur this whole time. <laughs> it's a, hilarious, and I love that. Like in Atari's like survival kit, in his like pilot uniform or whatever, yeah, like is a full dog bath kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he was going to meet up with his dog, right? So he was theoretically going to go uh, help out Spots. Um, but yes, yeah, so he uh, gave, gave Chief a bath. Chief has white fur now. He actually looks a lot like Spots, uh, and Atari's kind of affected by that as well, and he gives Chief a biscuit that he was saving for Spots, uh, and Chief's like, I, I couldn't possibly accept that, and then he takes it. It's like, wow, that's that's the best food I've ever eaten in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, he finally gets a puppy snap. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and then you see Tracy... Uh, in her room and she's like kind of summing up her whole conspiracy theory the strings in the wall and all that kind yeah. of stuff and you know she's like so Kobayashi planted the seeds of distrust in the nation and all that kind of stuff she's like interrupted by the uh, the woman whose house she's staying at right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, she comes in and she's like kind of summing up Atari's mission and then she realizes oh no I have a crush on you <laughs> yeah adorable <laughs> Yeah, which is really nice. It's really sweet. Uh, and, I li- and I like the way it kind of plays that at the end where I like the the, the weird, like subtle romances of Wes Anderson movies. I really enjoy like, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, in Moonrise Kingdom, there's like a bit with Edward Norton and like the telephone operator who like doesn't really have any lines. Right. That's uh, right. <laughs> which is really nice. And so like there's a moment where they like flirt early on in the movie. And then like later, like you see a picture of her on like his desk. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, oh, they're a couple now. That's great. Adorable. <laughs> uh, so now it's part three, the rendezvous. Yeah, and then the, the dogs come out of the thing, right, out of the incinerator, and they're like all just the smoke and the frazzled and all that stuff, yep. and they're screaming at each other uh, down to Chief, who's now white, <laughs> right? White's with the black spots. Uh, yeah. And I don't remember exactly. Oh, this is when they get to the bridge, right, I think? It's kind yes. Of part yeah, of they're, the they're like kind everything. of hanging. So there's like a river, right? And uh, they they're like on the tram, and they're and Chief's telling them, "You guys got to jump! You guys got to jump right now!" And it's like, "Oh, let's put it to a vote." But before they can put it to a vote, they're hanging over the river, and it's like the end of the line of the tram. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they get stuck. Yeah, they get stuck like at the end of the line, hanging above the river, and it's like this broken bridge. Uh, and so it's Chief and Atari on one side, and then on the other side of the bridge, some uh, other uh, people start showing up. It's an it's an ambush. Yeah, uh, they were like waiting for them there. And so more drones show up, more robot dogs show up. It looks like this could be the end for them. And then there's a flashback called The Secret Tooth. And it shows Spots uh, when he's on the island and he's stuck in a cage. Uh, and he meets this dog named Scrap and they're kind of talking. Spots is kind of explaining his situation as like, you know, the former bodyguard of the mayor. And uh, so, yeah, Spots and Scrap are on the island and Scrap can't get, can't get him out of the cage or anything. And Scrap's like, well, you know, at least, hey, the cannibal dogs won't get you. You might die of starvation, but like, hey, that's that's no worry. Yeah, <laughs> not so bad. Yeah, and so Scrap leaves uh, and then a bunch of dogs show up. Yeah. And uh, like they start carrying spots in his cage and they bring him to their hideout. And that's where he meets a uh, Gondo, who's like one of the main dogs there. Uh, and they, these are like the original dogs from Trash Island, the ones who were there before uh, it became Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. And Gondo is with Harvey Keitel. Uh, and Which, it's great. <laughs> when I realized it's Harvey Keitel is just mwah, chef's kiss. Very much like Grand Budapest. Like when you realize that character is Harvey Keitel, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Uh, and so Spots says something like, if you're going to eat me, just do it. Uh, and Gondo is like, what? <laughs> like Gon- Gondo is 
horrified by the idea, incredibly offended by the cannibal accusation, and explains the situation where uh, we've we've only eaten a dog one time, and it was to put him out of his misery. It was my best friend Fuzzball, <laughs> <laughs> who was dying, and if without without that without that nourishment, we would have perished within a day or something. Like that. Once again, an incredibly dark <laughs> yeah backstory uh, for this character uh, in what is ostensibly a movie that uh, kids can watch. Yeah. A little cute dog movie. Oh, wait, they're eating each other. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's just this one, like, you know, it's this whole thing where, like, you know, the cannibal rumor got started out of that, but uh, they're not cannibals. They did that, like, purely for survival. It's probably like Ravenous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can either confirm nor deny the yeah. plot of Ravenous because you haven't seen it yet. Fair enough. I have not seen Ravenous yet. One of these days, we're going to get to watch it. Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, so Gondo is very upset by the accusation, but they just just open his cage, and they're able to open uh, Spots' cage. And I don't remember how. They, they had, like, a master key or something. They had, like, yes. some kind of skeleton key or That's what it is, yeah. whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, they open the cage, uh, and Spots leaves, and he sees this dog, Peppermint, uh, who is played by Kara Hayward, who is Susie in Moonrise Kingdom, the, the, mm. the main girl. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And uh, Peppermint and Spots, they kind of connect. Uh, you know, a little bit there. And they, Peppermint kind of explains like that Fuzzball was his best friend. And he's like, I didn't mean to offend him. And, you know, they had this moment together and uh, Spots ends up becoming the leader of these dogs. Yeah, he takes over. And so now we're in the present day and we're back at this ambush that's been happening. Uh, and Spots arrives. Yeah. Yeah, Spots shows up and he sees Atari and Chief in trouble and he sees the robots coming and he's like, Atari! And he's like running towards him and uh, he has this military-grade tooth that's in his mouth. Like all of his teeth are like military issue. He's able to spit these teeth out of these robot dogs and just blow them all up. Yeah, they're like bullets that he spits. It's hilarious. Yeah, but he only has a limited number of them because, you know, he needs to be able to chew his food. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, technically, I can only do that 32 more times. Then I won't be able to chew my meat. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so he's able to do that. He blows up a bunch more dogs, uh, and, uh, he's able to save Atari and chief. They all jump into the river and the other dogs like all fall into the river too. Like the tram just like opens up and they all like fall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think when he shows up, when spots shows up, like the little, uh, earpiece thing starts to, cause it's red that Atari has and the light flickers and then it's green and then you hear spots talking and it's like, yeah, it's like top 10, uh, like, on screen entrances. Yes. It's, uh, it's Bob Odenkirk and Little Women and then this <laughs> for on screen on screen arrivals. And then Cat picking up the hammer. It's those three things. Those three things. <laughs> it was a good couple of years right there. Those were all around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they they're all getting to the river and uh, you know, Spots and Chief and Atari are all floating in the river together. Uh, and, you know, Spots is t- talking to Atari and it's like, it's very good to see you, Atari. My situation has very much changed now. I am the leader of these dogs and also I'm going to be a father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and Atari is, uh, you know, very sad, but uh, Spots asks to resign as Atari's bodyguard. Uh, also turns out Spots is Chief's older brother by six minutes. Yeah. That scene is powerful. Yes. When, when he reveals that to, to, to Chief and Chief is like, was I the runt? And he says, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so good. Uh, so they, they land, you know, outside of the river, they land and like kind of find this like, you know, building for shelter. Uh, Goldblum has a rumor. It's like, you know, you heard the rumor, right? Kobayashi invented dog flu. Yeah. <laughs> you heard the rumor, right? About Kobayashi pharmaceutical. They invented dog flu. No, of course. Oh, that makes Whoa. sense. Where do you get all these rumors? I mean, who tells them to you? I don't know. Anybody dogs talk and I listen. Always have. I, uh, Love gossip. Uh, and then you see 12 hours earlier, 
Uh, and Oracle sees Kobayashi's plans to poison Trash Island, by, yes. by which I mean she watched the TV and saw the plan <laughs> uh, to poison Trash Island. Uh, and so Oracle and Jupiter tell the plan to the owl, and the owl kind of uh, heads over to where Chief and Spots are and uh, gives them the rundown of like what Kobayashi's plan is going to be and like how they have to have this like one last-ditch effort to save the dogs. Yeah, and they sail they build boats, which is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. And sail back to Megasaki City. Yes. They build a sailboat. They're headed to Megasaki City. Uh, Peppermint gives birth in the trip. Uh, yes. Yeah. It says like little like stop motion puppies that they're working with, which, which, are, which are adorable. <laughs> adorable. Too cute. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And then on this trip, Spots asks Chief uh, if he would be Atari's new dog and if Atari would accept that. And uh, he does it. Chief becomes Atari's new dog on the trip. Yeah, and he gives him the thing, the, the, the earpiece, and now they can yeah. talk to each other. And then Tracy goes to meet with Yoko Ono, uh, who is an assistant scientist in this movie. <laughs> Played by Yoko Ono. <laughs> Played by Yoko Wild. Ono, which is great. You know, this is after the uh, the scientist has been killed, um, but, you know, it's staged as a suicide. Uh, and Yoko Ono is, like, in a bar drinking, like, you know, drowning her sorrows. Uh, and Tracy meets with her and has this, like, giant binder of all her conspiracy theories. And she's like, do I have the story? Do I have the story? You, we, you and I both know the head scientist has been killed. Yoko Ono gives her, like, has like, the last dose of the cure, and she mm. gives it to Tracy. Yes. And it's so intense. It's like... I don't know, like out of a Scorsese movie or some shit where <laughs> she's like shaking the scientist like, do I have it? Uh, yep. And then finally she she relents and lets, lets Tracy take the dog serum. Absolutely. Uh, and now we're into part four, which is Atari's Lantern. And now it's it's kind of discovered that like, Kobayashi is having this like big election celebration because the election has been happening. Uh, and Kobayashi is stealing the election yet again. That's like the sixth time he's been elected yeah. uh, as the mayor of Megasaki City. Uh, Tracy and the protesters arrive and, uh, you know, it's like he's stealing re-election again. We can't let this happen. And Kobayashi's like, well, I'll allow her to have the floor. And so she like has this whole thing where she's like, you know, talking about like everything Kobayashi has been doing with Trash Island, with the dogs, he plans to poison them. And, you know, he's been suppressing the dog flu cure and they planted it and all that stuff. And then Kobayashi responds by uh, tearing up her papers and deporting her back to Ohio. Yeah. Dark, man. Yeah. Fucking messed up. Uh, and then right before anything else can happen, Atari and the dogs arrive. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, they're here. And so Atari shows up uh, and he has Chief with him. And, uh, you know, Chief has been like kind of sneezing throughout the movie, too. Um, I think I think most of the dogs have like ah, sneeze once or twice, like just in a conversation and that kind of thing, um, just to show that they have dog flu or snout fever or whatever. Um, but Atari and the dogs arrive and they march up there and uh, Tracy sees them and she takes the dog cure and uh, she takes the syringe and they use it to cure Chief. And uh, Chief is like, wow, like it just immediately feels better. Yeah. It's just, and I love that it like go, it turns into like the transparent thing where like, you can yes. see his, like veins and stuff. It and, turns like, into like an x-ray and you see like, you know, all the, the sickness going away and you see like, yeah. the green kind of spreading through and all that kind of stuff. It's great. Yeah. And he's just instantly cured. And he's like, I've never felt better. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's some cure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the cure chief and then uh, Atari like takes the podium and uh, he uh, reads a haiku and he reads the haiku and like tells them about like through the haiku tells them what's been happening uh, mm -hmm. with Trash Island. The haiku overwhelms like everybody in the audience. Uh, Francis McDormand, who has been interpreting the entire conversation um, is like on the brink of tears. <laughs> Yeah, and she says, like, I'll translate later. Uh, yes. Or something. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. And so he reads this haiku, and uh, this haiku actually is so powerful um, that Mayor Kobayashi has a complete change of heart. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so Kobayashi uh, stops being a dictator, I guess, and, like, unstamps the decree to, uh, you know, for Trash Island and, like, you know, gets rid of the whole thing. But then Major Domo is like, no, you're, you're 
Yeah, like, he, like turns out Major Domo was like the the bad guy all along, I guess. Yeah, or just like he doesn't have the change of heart that Kobayashi has. I guess so. Yeah. And uh, so Major Domo uh, is like you're you're backing out of your campaign promises and all this kind of stuff. And he has like the controls in his hand, and he's like trying to press him and all that stuff. And then he sticks the robot dog on Mayor Kobayashi. Yeah, and it's like the kind of the whole plan seems to have been to replace dogs with these like Kobayashi robot dogs which have an attack mode that nobody knows about is like kind of like the conspiracy i guess uh major domo turns them all on and uh then there's a big fight yeah big fight ensues and uh you know spot and atari kind of gets into the fight also uh spots is like trying to get in there he like he wants to explode the robots but he can't do it from a distance so he has to jump into the fight himself uh and he goes in and he explodes the robot but he gets hurt himself uh, and he falls. And then Atari also gets hurt, and he falls. Atari ends up with a separate thing stuck, stuck in his head. Uh, yes. <laughs> this is very funny. Yes. Uh, so the Atari falls, and all the dogs escape from Trash Island uh, as the poison and robots, like, fu- fall. Like, every, everything that they were trying to do, like, all the guys who are about to poison the island, like, all the poison goes up into their own helmets, and so yeah. I guess they all die. <laughs> I guess they all die on screen in a kid's movie. Yes, and, like, all the robot dogs just, like, collapse and all that kind of stuff. Like, everything falls, and all the dogs escape from Trash Island. Uh, meanwhile, Atari is rushed to the hospital. The sequence of events here, where it's, like, he's in there, and he has to do brain surgery, uh, and there's, like, a sign on the door that says, like, brain surgery. Completes. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> like it in progress, and then it changes to complete. <laughs> yes, and so the doctor comes out, and it's like, well, good news. The brain surgery was a success, but his left kidney failed. <laughs> right. And he only has one kidney. He lost and he only it. has one kidney because he lost his other kidney in the car crash from his parents years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I was like, what are you going to do? And so now Kobayashi is like, well, what if I gave him my kidney? And so now now he has to have another surgery where uh, he it's like a kidney transplant between him and Kobayashi. Yeah, in stop motion, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> but beautiful at the same time? I don't know. Yeah, Strange. exactly. Uh, and also, Atari is the mayor now. <laughs> Yeah, through some like <laughs> Airbud level r- rules lawyering. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing in the rules to say a 12 year old can't be mayor of <laughs> Megasaki City, Mike. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the sur- kidney transplants is, is a success, but uh, Kobayashi goes to jail for all of his crimes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Atari ends up taking over as the new mayor. Uh, and you kind of see one month later, and now we're in an epilogue of the movie. Uh, There's a great line here where it's like, uh, I think it's Frances McDormand doing the interpretation, and she's like, political corruption has been reduced to acceptance levels yeah it's very good <laughs> uh atari is the new mayor there's like a round table where they're talking about uh you know some somebody pitches the idea of like uh, if somebody is mean to or pushes or like kicks a dog uh what should be the punishment for that it's like what if we do the death penalty and it's like i don't know that sounds a little extreme it's like atari's like yeah maybe it should be maybe maybe like 30 days community service <laughs> yeah it's very good and it's like the hacker guy is the one that suggests the the death penalty, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they're, they're all pretty good now. Nutmeg, it turns out, is actually Tracy's dog. So that kind of worked out really well for them because, uh, you know, obviously Atari and Tracy are together now. I like when Atari is making his speech um, and he says something like, oh, and, uh, you know, this attractive girl, like, kind of uncovered the whole thing. And, like, she's translating it and she gets to attractive girl and she's, like, blushes, like, hoo-hoo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's adorable. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, and so, yeah, Atari and Tracy are together. Uh, Chief and Nutmeg are kind of together now. Um, you know, they're, they kind of have this conversation while they're sailing on a boat. And uh, Chief and Nutmeg are like, so, you still going to bring in puppies into this world? <laughs> He's like, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, uh, it gets, gets to know me a little bit better. He says something like, uh, you know, I wish that uh, I could have been somebody else or something else. And she's like, I'm not attracted to tame animals. And, you know, yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of passion between these uh, these two uh, stop motion dogs. It's real fiery. Way more than uh, probably in Uncharted. Um, 
<laughs> which uh, if you listen to Mike, I go to the movies. Uh, that is something that's uh, <laughs> that movie really lacks. <laughs> and then you see a statue that's dedicated to Spots. And you hadn't seen Spots up to this point. So for a second, you think, oh, no, Spots died. <laughs> It's for longer than a second. They they dragged this out for yeah, a pretty yeah. long while. You see the statue dedicated to Spots, and you know, it's kind of panning down. And then you see uh, Peppermint and the puppies, and they're like eating together, and Spots not there. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, man, that's that's such a bummer to end this movie on. But then uh, Spots shows up. He comes up. He's got a cast on. Yes, yeah, so he's know. got. A, I think he's like an eye patch, maybe or something, yeah. uh, something along those lines. So he's he's injured, but uh, he's recovering and he's eating with his family, and all is well. All is good. Yeah, roll, roll credits. Yeah, and the Drum, cool drums. drums over the credits. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, Isle of Dogs is way better than I remembered it being the first time I watched it. So same. Yeah, I'm I mean, glad. I think yeah, when I saw it in theaters again, I thought it was like pretty good, uh, if like lesser Wes Anderson. But now I was really just taken in by the world it creates, by the animation, which is incredible, and uh, you know, it's it has all those trademark Wes Anderson things. I still think it's you know not his best movie by any means, but I really like it. Uh, it's it's very very good. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to watch it, it is streaming on Disney Plus right now. Look at that. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, I assume you watched it through extra legal means, Mike. As always, it's morally correct to steal <laughs> from Disney. This is also true. Uh, all right. So that's Isle of Dogs from 2018, uh, the Wes Anderson film. And uh, before we wrap up, Mike, I think we got to talk about some letterbox reviews. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I feel like these might kind of like go one way or the other. They might be split. Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much how it goes, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, so some letterbox reviews. Here's a three-and-a-half star review from The Poetic Critic. You've heard the rumors. Droll dogs under snow-gray skies. Best scene on big screen. Which I think it's very appropriate that The Poetic Critic did a haiku uh, for uh, Isle of Yes, Dogs. yes, seems correct. <laughs> very nice. Uh, here's a three-and-a-half star review from Brat. Pretty bold of Wes Anderson to make a film about how propaganda is bad while simultaneously inserting blatant anti-cat propaganda throughout said film. (laughs) Uh, Here's a three and a half star review from Brian Tellerico. Say I love dogs slowly. Now say I love dogs slowly. (laughs) Whoa. I just blew your mind. (laughs) They did. They blew my mind. Yes, there you go. I love dogs sounds just like I love dogs. This is... I mean, I, I think it is Wes Anderson working through a lot of traumatic stuff involving animals in, uh, in his past. But I think, you know, it is ultimately his, like, love letter to dogs, right? Yeah, maybe he just hates cats. He keeps killing them in movies. Well, he also keeps killing dogs. He does keep killing dogs. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, here's a four-star review from former movie enjoyer. Great name. Nice. Um, Jeff Goldblum is a gossipy dog. Is everything I could ever want from a Wes Anderson film. I'm glad you have one criteria and it got met. They've been waiting for a movie to, to scratch that itch for such a long time, and it finally happened. It finally happened. Uh, here's a three-star review from Mike D'Angelo, film critic. Not going to wade into the cultural appropriation debate, but it does feel to me as if Anderson set this in Japan primarily because the idea isn't robust enough to sustain a feature without a distracting scrim of colorful and busy homage. That's my working hypothesis regarding why I found this notably less superficially delightful than most of his other films in any case. Then again, I probably have concluded that Anderson's stop motion don't mix, if not for Fantastic Mr. Fox, so who knows? Mildly amusing and visual pleasing throughout, but it's only been three days and already most of it's evaporated. Only the nature of the Oracle got an outright laugh from me and the requisite melancholy undercurrent never quite kicked in here despite obvious efforts and some first-rate vocal work from Cranston. We'll likely give it another look later in the year, but it's the first time since Darjeeling that doing so would constitute due diligence more than pure pleasure. I think it's an interesting take. I mean, you know, if, if maybe the story was like a little too thin and like needed some kind of like padding with like the world that it created. Maybe. I don't know. That's, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, here is another three star review from KYK. 
Well, it's tricky. I'm never the most offended with this stuff, only when I'm asked to write about it. But Wes Anderson clearly has a very white person's point of view of The Outsider, which makes details like the foreign exchange student Tracy Walker, white girl with a blonde fro, and uh, lead student activist voiced by Greta Gerwig feel like a cringeworthy misstep and an otherwise very enjoyable movie. On the other hand, the split screen stuff, and even more so, the faux split screen, was incredible. Also, there's a Brian De Palma thank you at the end. <laughs> and I love that Tilda Swinton voiced the, the derpiest dog of the pack. <laughs> Correct. Yes. And uh, I think I have one more here. Yeah, this is a four star review. Say what you want. Oh, from Kayla, a four star review from Kayla. Say what you want about the content of this movie, but the stop motion is honestly some of the most impressive shit I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, I I followed this up uh, after I watched Isle of Dogs. I followed it up with uh, Kubo and the Two Strings because I was just like, I need more. Um, you you need that stop motion cultural appropriation kick that you're I guess so yeah (laughs) yeah pretty much Isle of Cuba rules Cuba's incredible I love that movie that movie's so good yeah but all right, so that is uh, Isle of Dogs from 2018 we did it Mike we did it yeah we're we're coming down the pipe we're you know we're getting very close and we have another big one coming next week too but uh, Mike where can we find you online this week you can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd and if you'd like to donate to support the show you could do that on our Kofi page which is ko-fi.com slash Mike and Mike pods plural. Cause we have two podcasts. Yes, we do. You can find me online at uh, M Smith film blog on Twitter, Mike Smith film on letterbox and radio Mike sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to uh, the complete works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Goldblum pod and you can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside many other podcasts about comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, join us on the next complete works. It is time for Jeff Goldblum to return to the world of Jurassic Park for like one minute of screen time. <laughs> yeah, this really feels like we got debated uh, with this movie <laughs> coming up, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm curious to rewatch it. I was thinking about doing a rewatch before the new one came out anyway. Mm. Um, so we'll see what happens, but yeah, we'll be talking about Jurassic world fallen kingdom, uh, in which Goldblum's role was really there just so they could put Goldblum in the trailer. So he could say, welcome to Jurassic world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life found a way. Uh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Uh, so yeah, but um, uh, you know, it's always fun to talk about Ian Malcolm and talk about Jurassic Park stuff. So even if the movie's not that great, well, uh, we'll jump into it. I'm going to try to rewatch Jurassic Park three and Jurassic World before we get into that one too. Okay. Uh, I actually started rewatching Jurassic Park three last night and fell asleep about 30 minutes in. <laughs> uh, but that tracks. But I'll watch the next hour. Like it's also like a 90 minute movie, so I'll watch the rest of the. I might watch it before I go to work today. We'll see what happens. Perfect. <laughs> Hey, it's Mike, and I am jumping in here really quick to just let you know that uh, I made a mistake at the end of this week's episode, Uh, and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is not the next episode of the show. Actually, the next one is going to be Hotel Artemis. Hotel Artemis is next, and then the week after that will be Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I know we just spent like two minutes talking about how we're doing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and how interesting it'll be to revisit that world. Well... It will be, but it will be two weeks from now instead of one. So, yeah, next week, Hotel Artemis is the movie and not Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. All right, now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. But all right, thanks so much. For, oh, plus, uh, this week, I'm going to go to the movies. We're doing some discussions this week, talking about uh, some of our most recent stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a fun little one. We watched every movie. We, we finished them all. We finished them all. There's no more movies left. We're shutting down the podcast after this. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the Goldblum. <laughs>